So we had a week off from Revelation, so we're back at it, okay? So you can open up your books, the Bibles, to the book of Revelation, chapter 19. Chapter 19, we're going to finish out chapter 19 today. If you remember, we started out in, the, in 19 a couple weeks ago. If you remember, we talked about the four hallelujahs in heaven. You remember that? There were four, four hallelujahs in heaven. The first hallelujah has to deal with our redemption. It is now complete, justice is served. When we get to heaven, listen, it's all a done deal for us as believers, right? The second hallelujah, though, dealt with the rebellion has ended. The second hallelujah was, yes, finally, righteous retribution, vindication and judgment to the lost of this world. No false religions, no injustices are anymore. Amen? And then the third hallelujah dealt with the greatness of God. God is in control some of the time. All the time God is in control. He is a God in complete control. And the fourth hallelujah dealt with God's omnipotent power. He has all power. He is all power. He rules. He reigns. Listen, and he alone does this by his awesome power. You live and breathe because of the power of the Lord. Your heart beats. The breath in your lungs is because of the power of Jesus in your life. Make sure that, listen, make sure that you, you always rest in Jesus. Rest in the fact that God is sovereign. God is king. God is Lord. God is your great physician. God is all these things for you and for me. He's in you, with you, and upon you. He wants, he, listen, He comes in you in the power of the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you into all truth in your life. you got to submit to His authority. We can't do anything right apart from God. In fact, the Bible says we can't do anything apart from God. We can't do anything, and we need Jesus for everything. And then we talked last week, uh, two weeks ago, about the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's completed, right? Well, we listen, where we bring glory to God, He so deserves the glory. Amen? We looked at the betrothal. We looked at the groom returning to the Father's house once the betrothal has, has been done to make ready the house for His bride. We talked about the groom returns for His bride. We didn't know when that's going to occur. Sounds familiar, don't it? And when Jesus comes back, you better be ready. The bride has to be ready for the groom when he comes back. And then the groom takes the bride to his father's house. Amen? What a glorious thing that is to be. And today we have come now to Christ's return in his second coming. This is where we're at today. Not to be confused with the first coming, the rapture of the church. That was in Revelation chapter 4. Two different things. The second coming is not the rapture, nor the rapture is the second coming. I want you to know that. In John 14, 3, he says, If I go to prepare a place for you, he says, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, he says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall we always, always be with the Lord. You see, at the second coming, he comes back to the earth with all the saints that have been already raptured prior to the beginning of the seven years of tribulation. I believe, based on the Word of God, that there will be a pre-tribulation rapture of the saints uh, of God globally. Before the seven years begins, listen, listen, we're going to be taken out of here. 
This is why I believe it, because of what Revelation chapter 3, verse 10 says. It says, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world, to test those who dwell on the earth. The rapture of the church is spoken of in three passages in the New Testament. In John 14, which I just kind of read, 1 through 4. In 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 54, when he's coming in the twinkling of an eye, we're going to be snatched out of here, right? That's what that scripture talks about. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 17, which we just read, uh, 16 and 17, right? None of these, none of these scriptures talk about judgment, but rather how the church will be caught up to be with Jesus forever. We're not to endure the judgment. We're his children. He's taken us out before the seven years begins. Believers will be gone. Unbelievers will only be on the earth until that possibility that they would receive Christ Jesus as Lord, overcoming the strong delusion of the Antichrist. The Lord has promised to keep his church out of the future time of testing that will come in unbelievers. Amen? Amen. That's encouraging for us. So let's move on to Revelation chapter 19, starting in verse 11. There are four sections that we're going to cover this morning as we go through this. Here's the first one. Number one, write this in your blank. The return of the Messiah. Can everybody say hallelujah? Hallelujah. He's coming. That'd be all right if he came right now. Amen? Amen. He could come at any time. Let's look at verse 11 of Revelation 19. He says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and his head are many diadems or crowns. And he has a name written on him, which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. This time heavens opens up not to let John see what's going in, but to let Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, out. And he comes to this earth. Here we will see the full revelation of Jesus Christ himself, our Savior, our Messiah. Listen, he's coming. Look at in, in, in A in your paper. He's coming in, is anticipated by prophecy. And I wanted to hit this prophecy because I think it's vital. It's so vital because Jesus would explain these prophecies to his disciples after his resurrection. And if you notice when you go through the New Testament that you would see Peter, Paul, and all of them quoting from the Old Testament, giving authenticity to the Old Testament scriptures. It was very vital that the people, the Jews, would know the prophecy is being fulfilled in Jesus Christ himself. And so the Old Testament is definitely viable as well as the New Testament. It all goes together. It is the living word of God, and we need to know both. Both are equally important. And Jesus would, would want us to know that and make sure that we keep that forefront. Jesus always connected the prophecy of the Old Testament with the fulfillment in the New. In the Old Testament, there were things hidden in there. And you couldn't see them. There were mysteries. They just couldn't hit them. But see, in the New Testament, Jesus reveals those hidden things in the New Testament. He did this throughout the book of Acts. After his resurrection, why apostles would preach with Old Testament references. They would do it. In Revelation 19.10, listen, John and the angel says, Then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, and I want us to go back to verse 10, which we talked about the last time, but not in great depth. 
This, this has to do with prophecy. He said, uh, John fell at the angel's feet, right? And, said to me, and the angel said, do not do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. He says, worship God. And then he said this. He said, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I want to go through and kind of explain why he says it. This is a clear witness of Jesus and his redemption and his rule. You have heard of the scarlet thread that goes through the Bible, amen? The scarlet thread of redemption, the sacrifice of the Lamb, of our Jesus, right? And there's a scarlet thread that goes through all the Scripture. There were hints of His coming sacrifice for the sins of the world throughout the whole of Scripture, beginning in Genesis, running all the way through. When you go back to the beginnings of Genesis, you look at Adam and Eve, right? In Adam and Eve, there's a covering for sin in the garden. An animal is killed, the clothing is made by God. And the clothing is made for Adam and Eve, right? And then there's Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah. Remember to sacrifice his son Isaac. And the angel withheld the knife. He took him all the way up and laid him on the bundle of wood on top of the altar. And he drew his knife back. And the angel of the Lord stopped him and provided a sacrifice in the thicket. You remember that story? There's a picture, that scarlet thread of Jesus and who Jesus is. It's really an amazing thing. Then Moses in the tenth plague. Remember the tenth plague? And Moses and when the children are in Egypt in bondage, right? The death angel comes, right? And the only people that don't get killed the death angel is the ones that took the little lamb, spotless lamb, and they took in the blood and they sacrificed it and they put the blood over the doorposts and the lentils of the, of the doorways. And the death angel passed over. Type of Christ. We see the blood, the scarlet thread running through everything. But you know, there's also a golden thread. Not only is there a scarlet thread, but there's a golden thread woven through the Bible dealing with His coming return to rule and to reign on planet Earth. Amen? It is. It's in there. 3,500 years Jews have looked for the coming of the Messiah. 3,500 years. You know the Passover Seder meal that they do every year? They've been doing that for 3,500 years. You realize that? It's one of the oldest things that they do uh, that anybody does on the planet. 3,500 years they've been celebrating Passover. When we look at 3,500 years they've been looking for the coming of a Messiah. Interestingly, he came, right? But the Jews refused to receive him in the first century. I say even so in the 21st century. Although there are a lot of Messianic Jews that know Christ the Savior have come to realize that he is the Messiah. Isaiah 53 is for real, right? They come to realize that. Here in chapter 19, this is the full revelation or the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Prophecy throughout the generations pointed Jesus out. That's what it did. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, real long, I want to write it down. He says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on his heel. In Genesis 49.10, listen to this. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh. And that word Shiloh is a reference to the Messiah. That's what it is. Come, till he comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Looking at God's covenant with David in 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel 7.12. He says, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, David, I will raise you up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom 
See the golden thread? You see it as we're going walking through? Isaiah 9, uh, chapter 9, verse 6. For a child will be born. This is real familiar to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called what? Wonderful. Counselor, right? Mighty God. Prince of Peace, right? Amen. Also in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, here we have Daniel interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Nebuchadnezzar had this horrible dream, and, and Daniel was sent to interpret it, telling him how all the kingdoms of the world will be destroyed. And in verse 44 it says, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms. Plural. But it will itself endure forever. All the prophets, thousands of years prior, saw the coming of the Messiah, King Jesus. Jesus taught his disciples with instruction and in how we should pray. Do you remember that? You remember the prayer in Matthew 6 9? In the New Testament, he tells us. He tells us, he said, Pray then in this way. What does he say? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. What does he say then? Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's all about the golden thread, his rule and his reign. Some of our greatest hymns deal with the second coming of Christ. Did you know that? You know who Charles Wesley is? He's one of the greatest hymn writers ever. They say that in his lifetime, Charles Wesley wrote uh, over uh, about 7,000 hymns. I can't even fathom writing 7,000 anything. Right? Much less hymns. You know, 5,000, they say that five, approximately 5,000 of those hymns dealt with the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. I want you to grab your hymn book right now. Gra- grab your hymn book right now. I want you to open up, open up to page 194. 194. Open up 194. 194. 194. I want you to check this out. It's a Christmas song. Amen, right? I think we need to sing a Christmas song. How's it go? How's it start out? It says, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Amen. Her King is coming. We always thought, hey, it's a Christmas song. That's more of a second coming song in my book, right? Turn over to page 597 in your hymn book. 597. 597 for all you patriots out here. Man, think about this. 597, you got it? Look what it says. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Amen. Right? So even our songs point to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And you're going to hear those very words that those songs have repeated here in your scripture today. I probably got you on joy to the world, though, didn't I? A little bit different. different. Listen, part B, it says his coming will interpret hostility as well. It it will interrupt hostility. 
His coming will interrupt hostility. Scripture also says Jesus rides in on what? A white horse. Not a donkey like the first time. Amen? Listen, white symbolizes the spotless, unblemished, holy character of the rider. The horse is called faithful and true. Amen? Jesus is the faithful and true witness. And we saw that in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 1, 20, it says, For as many as are the promises of God in Him, they are yes. Therefore also through Him is our what? Our amen to the glory of God through us. When Jesus came the first time, listen, wicked people judged Him. Wicked people judged Him. As He returns here, He is going to judge all the wicked. In fact, the Bible says the the wicked are judged already. The lost are judged already. It's already a done deal. People need to get saved. Acts 17, 31 says, Because He has fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom He has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising Him from the dead. Amen? He conquered death, hell, and the grave. Oh, death, where is your sting? Right? Oh, grave, where is the victory? Man, the sting of death is gone. There's no victory in the grave for the believer. He's taken that sting of death away. Angels will gather, listen, and the wicked for judgment, but Jesus will pass sentence on them. Matthew 13 and 41, the Son of Man will send forth His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here Jesus is the warrior king, make no mistake about it, waging war against his enemy. His eyes are a flame of fire. In other words, nothing escapes the Lord's notice. He sees everything. You and I look at the outward appearance of a person, amen? But what does Jesus see? He sees the heart inside of you and me. He knows what's in there, really, truthfully. You may hide it from this old pastor, But you can't hide it for King Jesus. You hear me? He knows everything that's in your life. He knows everything that you harbor, that you hold on to, that you haven't given to Him. He knows everything. And listen, and He is going to expose it one day. Take care of it today, church. Take care of it today. His eyes wept over the people of the world while He was here with us, did it not? Now we see their fires of judgment. Think about this. Think about the four Gospels. I want you to focus on the four Gospels here. Think about this. In the Gospels, Jesus looked at people with what? Compassion and love and concern, right? In the Gospels, that's what he did. But in 19, here in chapter 19, he's the judge. Jesus is a judge. The most just judge you will ever have. Jesus is him. In the Gospels, Jesus had a crown of thorns. Remember that? But in chapter 19, it says he has what? Many diadems or many crowns. Many crowns. Amen? Totally different looking Jesus from the uh, Christmas Jesus, right? The Gospels, uh, listen, in the Gospels, Jesus tells Pontius Pilate, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. But in chapter 19, he comes to earth with the armies of heaven to establish his kingdom on earth. 
Amen. In the Gospels, we picture Jesus stained with his own blood. But here, his robe is dipped in, in chapter 19, his robe is dipped in the blood of his enemies. The blood of his enemies. The Gospels, Jesus is the lamb led to the slaughter for the sin of the world. But here in 19, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's coming. He's coming. In the Gospels, Jesus lived and played in Nazareth near the valley of Megiddo. You know, in Nazareth, that's where the valley of Armageddon is going to take place. He comes again to put an end to the war of Armageddon with the, the word of his mouth. Folks, this is the end of every battle that you and I will ever see. This is the end. This is what he's talking about here in 19. In Revelation 16 and 15, he says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes, so that he will not walk about naked, and men will not see his shame. Listen, folks, it all started on earth in a garden. That's where the sin began. Actually, the sin began in heaven with Lucifer. And then he was thrust into the earth. But on earth, it started in the garden. When they rebelled, they disobeyed, and they ate the forbidden fruit. Jesus, listen, at the end, it's, and, so, and so here we are. It all ends right here in chapter 19. It starts in a garden, but it ends right here. And Jesus has a name written on him, which no one knows except himself. The meaning of that name is unknown only to Jesus. Only Jesus knows his name. The writer's name, his name is called the Word of God. Jesus is the Word of God, made flesh, dwelt among men, right? This is without question Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, called the Word of God, because He is the revelation of God to all of us, to each and every one of us. And the first thing I had to write down, He was the return of the Messiah. Number two, the army of the Messiah. Let's talk about the army of the Messiah in verse 14. And the armies which are in heaven are clothed in fine linen, white and clean. We're following him on white horses. Does that sound like an army to you? Clothed in white linen? Who would go to battle in white linen? There's a reason for that. Amen? Jesus is accompanied by armies which are in heaven. Which is where we will be. And so there are four divisions of armies in heaven during this tribulation period. And I want you to hear them. The first one is the bride of Christ called his church. That's all of us. You and I are going to have a front row seat to everything that's going on as a believer. If you're a believer, that's where you're going to be. Because the rapture happens before the tribulation. You're going to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus during those seven years. And listen, you're going to come back with Jesus as part of his regiment, right? That's what you're going to do. The bride of Christ. Second is the tribulation believers. There are going to be believers saved during the seven years of tribulation. Many, myriads, millions, thousands of people will be saved during the tribulation period. Now don't think that just because you're not saved and you die, that you'll get saved in the tribulation. If you think that, you're a fool. Because the Antichrist is going to bring such strong delusion on you, you will believe a lie before you believe the truth. That would be sad. That would be sad. Tribulation believers who are also are pictured wearing white robes. The tribulation believers are too in Revelation 7 9. 
And then the third regiment, Old Testament saints, who are resurrected at the end of the tribulation period. Resurrected, listen, Old Testament saints resurrected at the end of the tribulation period. You say, Brother Phil, where do you get that from? From, chap- from Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Daniel 12, 1 and 2. Now at that time, listen, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Old Testament saints. The fourth regiment is the holy angels that will accompany me, uh, accompany Jesus Christ himself. In Matthew 25, 31, he says, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. He will sit on his glorious throne. Unlike Christ, listen, this heavenly army is unarmed. Why is this army unarmed? Why? Because Jesus alone is going to destroy the enemies. You and I, I've heard people say, well, when I get up and get in this army, I'm going to take care of business. No, you're not going to do a blessed thing. You're going to stand there in awe of God, in awe of Jesus, and what Jesus is fixing to do, right? Jesus alone will destroy his enemies. It says, we as saints will not come to fight with Jesus, but to reign with Jesus. We go to reign with him, right? Chapter 20, verses 4 through 6 tells us about that. We'll study next time. Jesus will do all the fighting. Amen, church? Isn't that awesome? We will have all the ringside seats when we reign with him. We have looked at the return of the Messiah. Listen. Then the army of the Messiah. Now third, let's look at the rule of the Messiah. The rule of the Messiah. Look at verse 15. He says, From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty and on his robe and on his thigh here it is he has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords this imagery here is very very powerful to say the least from his mouth comes a sharp sharp sword John saw this imagery earlier in the book of Revelation in Revelation chapter 1 verse 16 in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. The word of God is like a sharp double-edged sword, piercing even the soul to the bone and marrow, right? The word of God is sharp. Utilized to defend the church from the satanic forces, this sword out of the mouth is deadly power coming from Jesus. Once Jesus spoke words of comfort, now he speaks words of death at this time. He will strike down the nation after nation just with his words. Just with his words. He's not going to have to lift a finger. He's going to say it, and they're going to fall. There's not even going to be a battle. It's going to be a fall. This will be, listen, he will strike down nation after nation just with his words. This will be everyone at the battle of Armageddon. The rest of the world will be judged at the sheep and the goat judgment. Matthew 25, 31 through 46 talks about, remember the sheep and the goat. You separate sheep on this side, goats on that side. This all follows Christ's return. This will be the pattern of Christ's rule upon the earth. 
Throughout his thousand-year reign, when he sets up his kingdom for a thousand years, he's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. Nothing's going to get by him. In fact, in the book of Psalms, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, he said, Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. In verse 9 he says, You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Any rebellion will be squashed before it even happens by Jesus. Amen? Jesus also promised that believers will rule under him in the kingdom. We get to rule under him in the kingdom. Revelation chapter 2, verses 26 through 27, we covered that last year. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end. He says, to him I will give authority over the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron and the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces as I also have received authority from my father. So John sees that Christ wears a banner around his robe and thigh which says King of Kings and Lord of Lords, right? Jesus' rule will be sovereign and absolute in his soon-to-be-established kingdom. And listen, folks, it's sooner than we think. It is sooner than we think. Look at the world. The world can't take much more of what's going on. Understand the, test, uh, the, the, the death toll in Turkey and Syria is up over 40,000, right? I'm telling you, we better get right with Jesus. The end is coming very quickly. Jesus' rule will be sovereign. The next thing we have is number four, the victory of the Messiah. The victory of the Messiah. Looking through verse 17 following in chapter 19. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in mid-heaven, this is kind of gruesome now, come, assemble for the great supper of God. Now there's a supper of the Lamb, and here he mentions the supper of God. Listen to what this supper of God is. Listen to this. So that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of the commanders and the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war, him who sat on the horse and against his army. Now see, he calls these birds to come and eat the flesh of all the remaining humans. Worldwide, globally. And then the beast, now all of a sudden the beast comes forward to make war with Jesus and his army, right? And the beast was seized, it says. And with him the false prophet who performed signs in, the presence, in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into where? The lake of fire which burns with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. Here we see the angel once again playing a key role in dispersing God's plan. The angel stands in the sun or in front of the sun, right? No worldwide darkness here. The angel cries out with an extremely loud voice commanding all the birds to feed on the results of the battle, which they're all going to be dead, right? Come, assemble for the great supper of God. This will be a tremendous slaughter of people. Millions upon millions will be killed instantaneously. Even after the birds have eaten, the Bible says it will take seven months just to bury the bodies. 
The Jews will be burying bodies for seven months. Ezekiel 39, verse 12. Ezekiel 39, verse 12 is where I get this one. For seven months, the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. Men, horses, kings, commanders, mighty men, the flesh of horses, free men, small and great. And see, John sees in 19, in verse 19, I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and the armies assembled make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. The beast who is, who is the beast? Who's the beast, church? It's the Antichrist. It's the Antichrist. The kings of the earth are the ten kings from the ten horns. They have all assembled to make war with the Messiah and his army. In one instant, the beast is immediately seized. Also the false prophet, who had been doing signs and wonders, distracting all the people of the world. Both are thrown into the lake of fire, which is the first mentioned lake of fire in the scripture. This is the final hell for Satan, his angels, and demons, and the unsaved. Matthew 25, 41 says, Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Isaiah 66, 24, it states this. It says, Then they will go forth and look on the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me. For the worm will not die, and their fire will not be, listen, will not be quenched, and they will be an abhorrence to all mankind. Jesus himself echoed these warnings to the people. In Matthew 13, 41, 42, it says, The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Revelation 14, 11 says, And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night. Those who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name, the rest were killed with the sword of his mouth. This is powerful, folks. Listen, look intently at every single thing around you. Everything around you he made by speaking it into existence. Right? He made the dirt, then he fashioned out of the dirt each one of us. Out of the dirt. Everything we see, God brought in existence by the word of his mouth. All the birds were filled with their flesh. With no commanders, there will be no leaders to lead anyone. All dead, all destroyed. What a sad, gruesome picture we must look at in our mind's eye. Just where do you fit in this economy? Right, ask you, where do you fit in this economy? Are you with the redeemed? Are you with the sheep? Or are you with the goats? You know who you are. So does Jesus. He knows who you are. So it's my prayer today. While this might seem a abhorrent message, it's really a great message for the children of God. Vindication is finally coming. How many of you have ever been persecuted? By your family, by friends, by neighbors? by people out and about. We don't have to retaliate and get mad. We need to pray for them and love them anyway. God's going to sort it all out. He already has. We need to be faithful to him. We need to guard our hearts. We need to guard our minds. 
We need to stay in his word. We need to hear from the Lord. We need to pray like we've never prayed before. We need to open our mouths and share the love of Christ to every person around us. God will prompt you in your heart to say something. You just say it. That's why I say the fair ministry is a great time for us to get up there and get out of, get out, get out of your comfort zone and open your mouth and talk to Jesus with people. People are more open, I think, today than they ever have been to hear something. Sometimes we get a lot of new guests that come in our church. You ever, I'll, I'll sit every week. We'll have, like last week we had several new guests. I had like five guest cards were filled out last week. Many. We've had many people come through here. People are searching. They're searching. I mentioned Asbury, right? The revival that's taking place. The pouring out of God's Spirit among all these students and all the people that are gathering there from all over the place. And it's ongoing. He said in the last days he would pour out his spirit among all mankind. We're in this last stage. We're in this last time. We're at the end of the church age. Jesus could come back at any time. But not before he's ready to send, uh, God's ready to send Jesus down here. And we don't know when that is. But when he comes back, will he find you busy serving him and serving others? That's the question. Don't get caught. <laughs> Don't get caught. Use the old expression with your pants down, right? Don't get caught. Listen, don't get caught. When Jesus comes back and you're in the middle of something you shouldn't be in the middle of. I'm telling you, serve the Lord with gladness in your heart. Read his word. Learn his word. Learn his character. You become his character in your life and the way that you live it. And let God use you to a degree like you would never think or imagine. Stephen Curtis Chapman did a song that's called It Is the Great Adventure. You may remember that song. The Christian life is a great adventure, but it's only a great adventure if you will open your mouth and truly live it really. You know what I mean? Live it out loud every day. You may be the only Jesus that somebody's going to see when you walk into Walmart. You know how many people never darken the door of a church? So many. I mean, look around. Hey, we can look around. We've got a few young people here. I appreciate that. Philip, thank you for being here, brother. Good to see you, man. So good to see you. You've got to ask yourself a question. Why do our young people not want to hear from God? Do they? I don't know. But we've got to find out. So with every head bowed, every eye closed. Listen, if you don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life, I'm going to give you an opportunity for that this morning. Ask Jesus to come into your heart. Say, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I believe that you died on a cross for me, shed your blood just for me. That my sin has been placed on your body 2,000 years ago. And I trust by the faith that you've given me that you died just for me. And Lord, I ask you to come into my heart and to cleanse me of all my unrighteousness. Lord, I give it to you right now. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you were buried in a tomb and that you have risen from the dead just for me. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, this morning. I give you everything. Tax, title, license, everything, my whole life to you. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me this morning. Father, I pray for all my Christian brothers and sisters. Lord, time is drawing short. 
Satan's on a short leash. But time is on a short leash as well. And we don't have much time. Help us, Lord. Give us the wisdom, the knowledge, the understanding of what we need to reach out, Lord, to our friends, our families, our kids, our grandkids. Lord, each one, Lord, help us to reach our kids. Give us the wisdom of your word that would cause a light to turn on in their lives that they would see Jesus for who you are, for what you've done and what you're doing before it's everlasting too late. Lord, I pray for all of our families represented here, especially the extended ones that may not know you as Savior. Use us, your church, your body, to reach into the world with the greatest message the world will ever know, the message of Jesus Christ. And his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Help us to do that. Prepare the minds of the people that we talk to, that they realize their lost condition, so that they know that they need a Savior. And Lord, that we can give them that Savior, Jesus. I thank you for our time together. I praise you for it all. In Jesus' name.